Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Hey, welcome everybody. Feel free to be seated. Uh, welcome to our friends on Zoom. So glad you're here. Uh, my name is Bill White. I am one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And, uh, you know, it's summertime, which is so sweet, right? I got to, uh, I, I was in Kentucky this last week with my best friend and his family, doing a little vacationing. Brenna Rubio is in Texas with her family this week. Um, so uh, for those of you who don't know, Brenna Rubio is our other co-pastor. Uh, and so we have the privilege today of having a special guest preacher, which we're super excited about. Uh, more about her in just a moment. Um, but uh, we want to pray over our kids. We think kids are awesome. And so uh, Raylene Pacheco is going to pray over our kiddos uh, before we send them out. So come on up. Welcome up, Raylene. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of all these children that we have with us today. We ask that you continue to guide us in the, the ways that we can guide them and protect them. We ask that everybody have a blessed day today and enjoy all that they're going to learn. And um, we just ask you to be with us through every step of the way. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So uh, kiddos, if you want, you can go hang out with Raylene and our fearless leaders who are amazing. So yeah, thank God for the kiddos. Um, so today we have a fearless guest speaker named Dr. Tracy Chanel. And Dr. Tracy is a speaker. Uh, she's been a pastor uh, up in Los Angeles. And she also leads cohorts and does training on anti-racism work. And she's actually leading a cohort that three of us, so Lewis, uh, who's up here on the flute, and Lisa Carpenter, one of our uh, board members and myself are part of that, and Tracy's been leading that, doing a great job, and so we are super excited to have her come. So, tr Dr. Tracy, if you'd come on down so we can say hello and welcome you. Appreciate you uh, coming down, and if I could invite up Hannah Sims, who's going to read scripture for us today. Hannah and Tracy are friends, so we thought, you know, why not have the, you know, little love fest up front so um so hannah's gonna read scripture for us and uh if you would like you can stand to for the scripture reading here you go tracy i'm excited to be up here with you <laughs> this is fun this is so i will be reading mark 10 verses 1 through 5. he left that place and went to the region of judea beyond the jordan and crowds again gathered around him and as was his custom, he again taught them. Some, testing him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment to you. If you want to say anything else about Dr. T, you feel free. It's your mic. <laughs> it's your this woman is full of wisdom. She's awesome. She's fearless. 
I'm excited to hear what she has to share today. Thank you, Tracy. Oh, <laughs> they, were, they were both pastors at the same church for a while, Hannah and Tracy, so very fun. We were. That was a lot of fun. All right, let me just situate this, and then, yeah. I saw that too, right? Right? Okay, cool, cool. People who we know and we see, and it's amazing. I'm going to raise this up just a little bit, maybe. All right. Cool. Um, is it okay if I pray before I start to preach? All right, let me let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump right in. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for this time to come, to gather, to be with one another, and to hear from your word. God, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what your spirit is saying to us, your people, your beloved community in this place today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So when Bill asked me um, what I wanted to preach about, he said, you guys do this thing where people get to preach about that sermon I've always wanted to hear. So I was like, well, I should preach about divorce. Um, so, so we're going to talk about divorce today, beloved. Yes, you guys are responsive people. Praise the Lord. All right, all right, all right, all right. Yes. Um, so divorce is one of those things that we just don't seem to talk about, especially in the church. Just like Bruno from Encanta, it's this taboo thing that happens, but we never really talk about it. We don't talk about divorce except to say, don't do it. And when divorce does happen, there is little, if anything at all, that is said about it. It's one of the few times when people need community, need to be loved and cared for, and the church is not as present in the lives of folks during that time as they actually could be. And when divorce happens, and with divorce happening as often as it does, it seems like there ought to be and need to be more space to talk about it. Now, this is my first time here, so I don't know how often y'all talk about things like divorce. So I'm going to just speak generally speaking. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> um, the stigma of divorce and sharing, I, I want to talk a little bit about the stigma of divorce sharing a bit about my own journey of God restoring my soul and healing after divorce. The passage that was read today is one that we often turn to when we want to know what does Jesus, what does God have to say about divorce? I have often read this passage and in my imagination, I have seen Jesus standing annoyed at the question and responding in a sarcastic tone saying, well, Moses allowed it because y'all are just really fickle. Y'all got some hard hearts. This coupled with various teachings from the church that say over and over again that divorce is not an option, that you are supposed to fight for your marriage, has led me to think for a long time that God hates divorce for any reason outside of infidelity. This passage has made me ask if God hates divorce, then what about the divorcee? Does God love divorcees? 
I suppose the image of a disappointed Jesus stuck even more for me when I spent time studying this passage during a sermon series back in 2009 after being married for four whole long years. In that sermon, I preached about the hard-heartedness and the ways to combat it, being about sacrificial love, directing your heart towards one another, and fighting for your marriage. And while I don't think I was wrong, I think I didn't see some nuances that only life and some deconstructing could help me to see. And as the years continued on, after the sermon, I attempted to live out the message I preached in an effort to fight for my marriage. I love sacrificially. I had begun to sacrifice, but I also began to sacrifice myself for this idea, this dream, this happily ever after, this idea of this picture perfect marriage that was anything but perfect. We devoted ourselves to ministry and raising God-fearing children, but we often neglected ourselves and one another. And as we sacrificed our all for the sake of the kingdom, and it looked pretty good on the outside looking in, things were just not right. And it wasn't healthy. And I must say it wasn't always unhealthy, beloved. But it grew into these rhythms and ways of being that just became untenable. It grew into something unrecognizable, something cold and devoid of affection and tenderness. Game nights and laughter were replaced with silence, and we withdrew to our respective spaces. The pain points that weren't actually really dealt with early on as we rushed to forgive and not let the sun go down on our anger hadn't actually had the time to be worked out so we could forgive wholeheartedly. Mistrust and pain was very much present. And the good days were harder to come by. We put on the mask for public and for company. Some of that had to do with me wanting everyone to think and believe everything was okay. Some of it had to do with pain that had been inflicted a little bit had to do with me holding on to this idea of this perfect marriage that I wanted so much. And slowly, bit by bit, I became a shadow of myself. And I knew, beloved, that life was too short to live this way. But I stayed married because I believe what the church told me, that divorce was not an option no matter what except for in the case of infidelity. And even then, beloved, you know what they told me? Girl, you better forgive. <laughs> Work it out. I stayed married out of fear of the stigma from others and the church, because after all, I'm a pastor, and pastors are supposed to be a good example. I stayed married for my kids and to save face. And I stayed married because I didn't want to disappoint God. I didn't want to make or break a promise I made to God. I didn't want God to stop loving me. So I stayed married, losing bits and pieces of myself, constructing a life that didn't consider me, and going through the motions 
because I thought it was what I was supposed to do. I grew up Catholic, right? And so the idea of breaking the sacrament of marriage was like breaking covenant with God. And I often told myself, I can't divorce. I have to make my marriage work because I made a commitment to God and my husband. And so when my marriage began to disintegrate and I made the decision to divorce, in the back of my mind, I wondered if God was disappointed with me, if I was a failure. I felt like I had failed and I even began to ponder, could God still love me? I wondered if God could still be my shepherd and if I could be God's beloved. And while I pushed those thoughts back down in my mind, they didn't stay there completely. When I tried to reassure myself of God's love and care for me, the messages about marriage that I had heard over the decades stayed in my heart and my mind. And this idea that I had just fallen short. And even though I knew, beloved, that God loved me, I was having a difficult time reconciling this image I had in my head of Jesus shaking his head in disappointment that I had imagined in Mark 10 and Matthew 19, as folks were here, as he was talking about this hard-heartedness. So it's taken me a while to come back to revisit this passage. And I see this Mark and Matthew passage from a different perspective, from a different point of view. And as I've mentioned, I've often read this passage in such a way where Jesus seems like he's condemning folks for their hard hearts and fickle decision making. But I also was reading a 21st century Western understanding of love and marriage into this passage. The idea that Hollywood constructed for us through Barbie dream homes and Disney princesses and happily ever after and every rom-com movie I have ever seen and still do love. <laughs> Beloved, there is a danger in transporting our modern view on scripture because it sometimes we miss some cultural nuances and key things that are happening in the passage. Throughout scripture, the concept of marriage was rarely about love as we talk about it is like it is today. Will Gaffney reminds us, and I quote, that the biblical text bears witness to many ways in which humans have fundamentally changed what is called marriage. And God responds, or in many cases, there's a lack thereof a response. She points out how there are instances of monogamy and polygamy, instances of women being made wives as spoils from war. Then she goes on to say, humanity has reconfigured marriage again and again, from women as property whose consent was not needed to a dizzying array of contemporary practices, some like interracial unions in the US only recently legal. Accounting for all the variations would require a book, end quote. And so I want to invite us to look at this passage with a different lens. Today, I want to talk about divorce and marriage and it not be taboo. Beloved, we need to remove the stigma of divorce because it's the first thing that needs to happen in order for people who've been through divorce to actually receive healing. 
Beginning in verse 2 of Mark 10, it says, Some testing him ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The question being asked by men has to do what is lawful for men in a community and context where marriage was contractual and transactional. It's in this context where women were viewed as property and seen mostly as the daughter of, the wife of, the mother of. In a society where marriage was a way in which a woman's livelihood depends on the care of a man, be it her father or her husband. In this passage, we see that women neither had agency to enter or exit a marriage, but it was a decision made by her father, her brother, her husband, but rarely did women get a say. In response to this question of if it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife, Jesus answers the question with a question, like Jesus always does. In verses three to four, he says, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. The people tell Jesus what Moses had allowed, dismissal of a wife. And presumably they were kind of referring to what was written in Deuteronomy 24 verses one through three, where it says, suppose a man enters into marriage with a woman, but she does not please him because he finds something objectable about her. So he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hands and sends her out his house. She then leaves his house and goes off to become another man's wife. Then suppose the second man dislikes her, writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hands and sends her out of his house. You see, beloved, it was allowable for husbands to give their wife a certificate of divorce for any number of reasons from not pleasing him or any number of things that he might find objectable. From how she cared for him in the home to whatever fault he found. See, we often have this idyllic romantic view of marriage that is in scripture, but beloved, we often forget that women were simply seen as property and treated that way. Property in which a man could return if he no longer, if it no longer satisfied him. In much the same way, my teenager is always returning his gadgets. He waits before the 60 to 90 days comes and he realizes, mm, this is not exactly what I want. I really regret telling him about return policies <laughs> because he doesn't buy things to keep them. He buys them now to try them out. And when he finds that something is objectable, he returns it like an object. It's used and devalued, it's been depreciated, but he gets his full price back. This is what was happening to women only they didn't return whole. Beloved, women are not objects, we are people. Yet in this context, women and wives were viewed as nothing more than a good or commodity to be passed along. So it is against this backdrop that Jesus continues on and responds in Mark 10, five. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. 
in this setting and in this situation when Jesus tells them why Moses made allowances for divorce because of their heart of heart the hard heartedness it is not about love in which case learning to love could be helpful but rather I believe it was about the way men discarded women with the cavalier approach you see beloved Jesus is deeply concerned about the human condition regardless of our gender and when we look throughout scripture, we see Jesus advocating for the least of these who have been discarded and tossed aside. If Jesus is about shifting and making new ways, then maybe, just maybe, he's calling out the ways in which men have found ways to no longer honor their commitment and responsibility to care for women in the community through the bonds of marriage, because that's what marriage was about in this context. Maybe, just maybe, he's seeking to hold men accountable for making laws and finding loopholes to keep them from keeping the social contract. And may making them think just a little longer about creating laws that allow them to make decisions for the sake of women. I suppose not much has changed because men seem to still think they can make laws and decide what is lawful so long as it benefits them without much regard to how it impacts those on the receiving end of it and call it lawless, lawful. You see, as marriage has evolved throughout scripture, God didn't necessarily respond to one way or the other and sanction one as better or not. However, God does and continues to respond for his beloved people, particularly the most vulnerable. And it is this hard-heartedness that allowed men to treat women like commodities to be bartered and traded at the whims of a man who found her objectionable. It is for this reason that he goes on in both the Mark and Matthew passage to remind them of their oneness that comes in marriage. I believe it is an attempt to help them to see the ways in which a woman's body, her personhood, liberty, and freedom should be held with the same value as their own flesh, their own body, as one created in the image of God. This sparks up a whole nother conversation with the disciples. We didn't read it, but y'all got time to read it on your own in Mark and Matthew. The disciples have a moment and they're like, wait a minute, Jesus. What you're talking about means that like, I have to actually like keep putting up with this. What if I don't like it? What if I don't want her under my roof? You're telling me I should just keep it that way? And I can imagine Jesus just like nodding, yes. And then they went on and say, you know, it would just kind of be better if we just didn't get married at all. And Jesus is like, yep, you got it right. That's exactly it. Just don't get married. You know, being a eunuch is an option. Not everybody can accept this teaching. And so, beloved, I believe it's in this context that we look at this passage and we see that God is reminding people to not discard one another or treat people as objects. Jesus was talking about the ways that our hard heartedness has allowed us to use and throw out people when we no longer see them as useful. And in that context, men can find any number of reasons to not honor the commitment to care for their wives. Jesus is trying to save some people and help them see women in a way that Jesus sees women.
We can't forget that his own mom was on the verge of being in the same situation. Recall, Joseph in Matthew 1 was like, uh, that ain't my baby. <laughs> and I'm going to have to just like put you away quietly. You know, much love, but we ain't doing that. And although in that situation, since they weren't married, he wasn't going to actually put the certificate in her hand and send her away, right? And that would have left her in an even more vulnerable position. I can imagine that Jesus growing up heard the story of what his mama went through. The story that must have come up, well, like, you know, Joseph almost got rid of me because of you, right? <laughs> when he found out that this was not his baby, but thank God the angel spoke to him and kept him from sending me away. You see, beloved, Jesus saw women. He had women in his life. He knew their stories, their plight, and understood the ways society had not given them control and agency. This is the context in which Jesus speaks to these hard hearts and the ways men had found ways to manipulate the system to benefit their own desires. Jesus is seeking to care for the folks to prevent them from being in unhealthy situations. Jesus wants to care for women and help people to see what it means to be God's beloved. He's seeking to keep men from entering into situations that they will just simply exit when it's inconvenient. But unfortunately, we often don't see this passage this way. And it's been used time and time again to keep people in relationships and commitments that are not healthy at all. It's been used to compel people to stay in situations where they're not being cared for or loved well. Beloved, God wants people to be cared for, loved and treated with the dignity and respect as ones created in the image of God, regardless of their gender. I believe in his own way, Jesus is trying to subvert a system that unjustly does not see women, not condemn people to stay in an unhealthy marriage. When we began to dispel this idea that God hates divorce and see that what God really doesn't like is God's people being mistreated. We can see that God cares deeply for all of humanity and it shifts how we can see them. It also creates space for us to imagine that divorce actually is an option for folks when it's not healthy, when it's not thriving, when it's not well. When we begin to remove the stigma of divorce, we can see that yes, God is still the shepherd of the divorcee, the single person, the widow, the married folk, and everyone in between. When my marriage of 15 years ended, the comments that I got from well-meaning church folks were, <laughs> Tracy, but did you fight for your marriage? Have you done everything in your power? Tracy, are you sure there's nothing you can do? What about the kids? Did you, did you try this? This is a really big decision. Just don't throw it away, Tracy. I 
will say the gift of the pandemic meant that I only had a handful of people around me during my initial separation and then divorce. And by the time it was more widely known that I was divorced and I got all these questions and interrogations from people who barely knew me, I had already began to put down a lot of the shame and the stigma and began to heal. Thank God, the pandemic did some things, right? And I could choose to answer those questions with a yes, I did fight for my marriage. And if you knew how much, you wouldn't be asking. And yes, I did do everything in my power to restore my marriage. And if you had walked with me over the course of my marriage, you would understand what was really going on. And yes, I've considered my kids, but I also realized my kids needed to see a healthy model of relationship. I realized that as much as I wanted to stay married for the sake of my kids, having them see their parents at odds and arguing to the point where they would come out of their bedroom crying, asking us to stop, wasn't healthy. I realized my kids needed to see partners who cared for one another's well-being and not this coldness that had set in our marriage. I needed my kids to see me happy and whole and be raised in a home of peace, not turmoil. And so my divorce became an option and we co-parent much better and are able to actually care for one another and support each other better in this capacity now. And while I don't have the time to say all the reasons why my marriage wasn't healthy, we could talk about it later. I must say that I do believe God wants us to be in healthy, thriving relationships that allow us to continue to become the best version of ourselves. Beloved, I still believe in marriage, but I also believe divorce is an option. And I think the two can coexist. There needs to be relationships where damage is not inflicted on one another, but relationships that cause and help people to thrive. Beloved, when all those questions came my way, what I needed was people to simply see my pain, to say I'm there for you, sis. But oftentimes people are so afraid of coming close to people in pain and it touching their own, that they stay away and they do everything in their power to fix what you have going on as a way to fix what's really going on in their life. And while the church has made a way to care for folks, when they lose loved ones, we don't really do a good job of caring for folks when a family ends. Beloved, we must do better. And if marriage isn't evolving, then how we care for people when they have to say goodbye to marriage also needs to evolve. And we should think about different ways and customs we can help people. I'm grateful that during my time at the beginning of my separation, when depression literally overtook me and I couldn't do anything at all, that I had people who came and cared for me, cooked for me, cleaned for me, for weeks and months. Thank God my kids like to eat. 
Beloved, marriage is one of those things we often enter to into a very public way, and then we exit it in a very isolated solo way. In a courtroom with a judge you've never met who has the audacity to ask you, is there anything we can do to help save your marriage? Beloved, community needs to come around folks as they're navigating this painful season. And so for me, I had to find ways to figure out how to grieve the pain and heal from divorce. And when I got over the stigma, the shame, I gave myself permission to mourn the dreams of a future that would not be realized. I had to deal with the emptiness and the pain that kept me up at night and made it difficult to sleep. And I needed to be reminded of what Psalms 147 spoke of when it says, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And then it goes on to say, the Lord lifts up the downtrodden. I needed God to heal my broken heart. And beloved, I needed to be reminded that the Lord was still my shepherd. Psalms 23 reminds us that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. My shepherd makes me to lie down in green pastures. My shepherd leads me beside still waters and restores my soul. And as I get ready to close, I wanna encourage folks who are in need of a shepherd, in need of healing. I want to remind you, beloved, that God is in fact and always will ever be our shepherd. And as such, I want you to know, beloved, that God knows you by name, knows who you are, and all the pain you've endured. You see, the thing about a good shepherd is they see us when we are limping. They see us when things have snagged us up and they come and care for us so that we don't need to want because our good shepherd cares for us, sees us and knows what we need even before we can begin to ask. And being reminded that we still have a shepherd, God is telling us not to forget. And even more importantly, we are not alone during the darkest valley because the Lord, our shepherd, walks with us. Verse two of this passage tells us that our shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures. So often when we are in pain, we want to push past it, move through it as quickly as possible, like it's a sprint when the reality healing is a marathon, it's a journey. That is why God invites us to stop and lay down in green pastures. Beloved, I don't know what your green pastures look like, but for me, it was needing to have space to retreat on a beach and be in nature. God literally had to disconnect me from the hustle and bustle and make me stay still, lie down long enough to feel what I was feeling. That makes sense, y'all? Long enough to point to where the hurt was, long enough to be able to see and name the pain because you can't actually heal what you don't actually ever name. 
And for me, that meant literally stepping back, disappearing and disconnecting from it all to rest, to begin to learn to breathe again and to find ways of reconnecting to my body. It's been in those moments of laying down, literally laying down walking that has allowed me to begin to heal. It was in the space of sitting and writing and pouring my pain out on page upon page, allowing myself to feel and be comforted by God and comforted with the fact that I could know that God was big enough to hold all of my emotions and my words that I'm not allowed to say here today. (laughs) It was in those green pastures where God, (laughs) we had an agreement that I wouldn't do that, so I'm not, (laughs) right? He was like, Tracy, we try not to do this. And I said, I got you, Bill, I got you, Bill. But God got it all in my journal. And my friends heard it all. And my son was like, mama, we need a swear jar for you. (laughs) And I said a couple things with words I can't say. And he does not have a swear jar, right? Um, But beloved, God wants you to lay down in these green pastures and find the space where you can fill yourself fully and let your body, mind, and soul catch up to one another. And so ask God to lead you to your green pastures as often as you need so that you can be healed. And may God also lead you beside still waters. You see, in this passage, still waters is a place that isn't rushing. So it allows the sheep to actually be able to drink without fear of being swept away. It represents peace, but also something that provides nourishment for you to the point where it will replenish your soul. What are your still waters? What do you need to do to put in your life? For me, it's dancing. And sometimes dancing naked in my house. (laughs) By myself, by myself. My kids don't be there. Calm down, calm down. But it's been my still waters because it's allowed me to reconnect to my whole being. It's been tapping into my creative and artistic side with baking and coloring. I don't know what your still waters may be, but find what feeds and nourishes your soul, what brings you life and what allows you to be cared for, for your whole being. What is God inviting you into? Beloved, The beauty is sometimes you don't have to know, but just trust that God's spirit will lead you beside those still waters to restore your soul. Beloved, healing after divorce, healing after pain, healing after anything takes some time. And know that God cares for you deeply. And even if it takes years, Beloved, once we remove that stigma about divorce, it gives us space to let our good shepherd walk with us, lead us into green pastures, lead us beside still water so that our souls may be restored. And beloved, may we as a community be that to our siblings as they navigate whatever life is throwing their way. Amen.